Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. Dr. Lee Warren here with you on Self-Brain Surgery Saturday. We're going to do a little self-brain surgery today around the idea of what happens when you think your life is going in one trajectory. You've worked hard. You've achieved a dream. You've gotten married. you've, You've finally got things heading in one direction, and you think you know what your life is about. And then some sort of trauma or tragedy or massive thing comes along, and your life all of a sudden is on a very different path than the one you thought you were on. It can can lead you to big questions about faith and who God is or whether God is at all, whether he's on your side or against you or even exists. It can leave you filled with doubt. It can shatter your heart. It can make you question everything. Today we have a special guest, my friend Maddie Jackson-Smith. I was on her podcast. She has a beautiful podcast called N-I-N Joy Life, N Joy Life. Maddie Jackson is also, by the way, the daughter of Denise and Alan Jackson, Alan Jackson, the country music singer. But Maddie's story has nothing to do with being the daughter of a famous country singer. Her story has everything to do with being a human being who finds herself in a situation that's just unspeakably tragic, finds herself with some new labels like widow that she wasn't expecting at a young age of 28, finds herself wondering whether the God that she believed and trusted in would really be there to hold her up in the aftermath of this horrifying situation. And Maddie has written an incredible book called Lemons on Friday, Trusting God Through My Greatest Heartbreak. I was on Maddie's podcast a few months ago, and we talked about my book, Hope is the First Dose, because we have some commonalities in our story. And and the big commonality is that we thought our life was about one thing, and then something happened, and we had big questions about what we're going to do now. Like We lost our son, Mitch, and what do we do now? And do we really believe what we thought we did? And is God really who he, we thought he was? And is he going to come through, or are we going to be devastated forever? And Maddie's story was she's going along as a newlywed and thinks that her life is is finally on the right track the way she's always dreamed of it being. And all of a sudden, something happens and everything's different now. Maddie's story is beautiful, it's powerful, it's tragic, but you know what? It lands on hope, and the story doesn't end when the book ends, and she's going to tell us some amazing things that God has done in her life since she tragically lost her husband, Ben, a few years ago. Maddie is so brilliant and so in love with Jesus and has such a great message. She's helping people all over the world with her podcast and with her book, Lemons on Friday. And I'm incredibly honored and grateful to bring you the story and a conversation with Maddie Jackson-Smith on the podcast today. Remember, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and Maddie's going to help us get it done. But before we get to her story, I have one question for you. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. Are you ready to change your life? Well, this is the place, Self-Brain Surgery School. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and this is where we go deep into how we're wired, take control of our thinking, and find real hope. This is where we learn to become healthier, feel better, and be happier. This is where we leave the past behind and transform our minds. This is where we start today. Are you ready? This is your podcast. This is your place. This is your time, my friend. Let's get after it. Friend, we're back, and I'm so excited to be having another conversation with my friend Maddie Jackson-Smith. Welcome back to the show, Maddie. Thanks, Lee. I'm excited to be chatting again and 
get to meet all of your followers and people. Actually, I said that incorrectly. You've never been on my show. I was on your show. <laughs> it's it welcome feels back. the same. Like the screen looks the same. <laughs> the conversation right. feels just as great. So yeah, feels feels like second time. We had such a good talk on your show, um, Enjoy Life, which is a great podcast. You should check it out, friend. I'll put the links in the show notes. Maddie, you've got an incredible story. And you live in Nashville, right? Nashville area? Yeah, I do. Cool. Okay. Before we get started, I want to get into your story and your incredible book, which I love, Lemons on Friday. Um, Say a prayer for us and let's get after it. Yeah, I'd love to. Father, thank you for the way that you use every part of our stories. Um, Thank you for the way that you don't waste our pain. Um, And thank you for the way that you bring together um, those of us whom you know can support one another, love one another, um, and ultimately share your glory uh, with the people in our lives. And so we ask that this conversation does just that, God, that points people to hope um, and joy um, and endurance and resilience and ultimately just always back to you. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Maddie, I've given the listeners a little bit of your story, but let, let's just kind of hear the 30,000 foot view of your story and then we'll get into your book and, and how your life's playing out and some things we can learn from you today. Give us the highlights. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the highlights you mentioned. I'm in Nashville. I was born and raised here um, and I met and married my husband, Ben, in my 20s um, here in Nashville as well. And married here um, at our parents' home, just outside of town, and and it was just, I mean, about as fairy tale as you can get. Like, not to sound trite, but he just had this magnetic personality, and, and really, Lee, sort of just like God given inherent joy um, yeah. for life and, and fervor for life, and and was such an easy man to love. And, and so we had this this beautiful kind of courtship and marriage, um, and. About a year after we married, we went to Florida um, to just have a vacation. We were celebrating his birthday as well as both my sisters are all kind of in the same little couple weeks there. And so we went down to Florida where we've, we've grown up visiting and uh, went to celebrate. And my, my dad's a big fisherman, so he's got a boat there. And, and we took this beautiful like sunset dinner cruise ride and um, stopped off at this little like tiki bar restaurant we always go to. And it was just such a wonderful night, you know, like sunset band dancing the whole shebang. And then, um, as we go to get back on the boat to leave, there had been a little pop-up thunderstorm. And so the, the, the boat steps to back up were wet and, and Ben came over and kind of tried to help us get back up and his sandal hit the, hit the step just so, and he fell back and hit his head pretty hard on the dock, which was concrete. And, you know, he, he definitely knocked him out for a second, but, you know, to us, it, it didn't seem to be anything incredibly alarming. It kind of looked like, all right, like, it's kind of like a high school football thing. Like you kind of he shook his head and came back to, yeah. and I'm thinking, you know, it's probably a concussion. We might be here a few extra days. And by God's grace, there were two off-duty EMTs there at the marina as well. And they kind of came over and checked him out and said, you know, this could be a lot more serious then then it looks like you should probably get him to the hospital so they helped us know where to go because again i wasn't home um didn't really know where to go and from there as you know well the brain starts to swell and um from that point forward came about a 12-day stint um in the neuro icu medically induced coma to try to keep that swelling down multiple 
I can tell you craniectomies and yeah. brain surgeries. And um, on the 11th day, uh, met with the neurosurgeon and uh, she came back in and, and she they had done an MRI and she said, I am so sorry to tell you this, but you know, he's had multiple strokes and, and he's essentially brain dead. And we didn't know because he had been in that coma. And so, you know, from there began not just that immediate sort of battle within myself of what do you do here? Because as you yeah. know, the options, the options aren't really options, right? Like you, I have to be the one to decide to end his life as my wife or as uh-huh. his wife, because his body's being operated you know, by machines. And so the first sort of supernatural and tragic way that I can, in retrospect, see God answer prayer in this situation was me begging that night back at the hotel, like, Lord, don't make me make this choice. Like if, if this is his time and you're not going to make Ben a miracle as we've prayed for two weeks, then you have to do this. Like you have to take him. And he did his, his heart stopped in the middle of that night. And and he passed, gosh, at 28, um, we were both 28, three uh-huh. weeks before our first anniversary. So, you know, the trauma of it, is, as you and probably a lot of your listeners know, feels surreal. Yeah. Um, and then just multiply that on top of the anticipation of we've almost been married a year and, and we have our whole lives ahead of us and all these plans. And, and it just, it, it was inavocable honestly for a long time so that was about five and a half years ago um that we lost him and my book that you mentioned is is my journey through that um just just as your books are kind of an open looking an open heart of this is what i dealt with as a person who loves god and believes that he's good and believes that he's sovereign and yet somehow i had to reconcile those two things when my life felt the opposite of good and, and that his sovereignty obviously had to play some role in this that I had to figure out. So there's a ton to unpack there. Um, but that's basically, yeah, the, the highlight of the last many years of my life and my story and the book and and a lot of what I do. So you're, you're living your life. You've got the dream husband and, and the new marriage and everything seems to be going great. And I think like we talked about on your show, you know, we had this moment where right before Mitch died, we had this reunion and, and our, everything seemed to be getting better. And, and then all of a sudden he was gone and you've got that almost first anniversary and, and this tragic unforeseeable thing happens. Tell, tell us about anger and doubt and and how you felt in your faith and in your spirit in those early days after Ben died. Yeah, I think, like I said, and you know well, like there is this sort of surreal component to the beginning of that, you know, and the shock and adrenaline and, and everything that happens physically that, you know, I think God wires us that way to protect us. And, and when that kind of starts to wear off, you know, after those first few days or weeks or whatever, Doubt really was, I think, the first thing that um, that came rushing in. the The anger part for me was a, was more limited. Um, it came a little bit later, and and I don't say that in a valiant way. I think it's just how I'm wired. I tend yeah. to be, as we've discussed, a really hopeful and optimistic and positive person, um, and it takes a lot to really make me angry. So what happened first was sort of what I mentioned a minute ago was, man, we, we trust you, God, like this, we're a family that 
came together, not just because it was a crisis, but because you are the foundation of our life. And, you know, like carried, I carried this Bible all around this hospital and we prayed all of these prayers and we sung hymns over his body and we prayed over the staff and, and kind of tried to witness in a way to the people in the hospital that like, this was kind of like, like this sounds ridiculous at this point, but it was kind of like, God, like we're teeing you up for this miracle moment yeah. to like change people, you know? And we really believed that. And, and it wasn't, it truly was from a place of sincerity. It was from a place of hope, desperate hope and trust. And, and so when those things that, that are really all we have in our tool belt to fight with, right. Seem to fail or seem to let us down or God seems to not, you know, quote unquote, hit, end up or hold up his end of the bargain. There's a huge feeling of disappointment. And, and that feeling for me was how can I trust you again? You know, like yeah. in so many ways, but especially Lee, like for me, the kind of first thing was how do I trust you in prayer? Like, why do I pray? Because the a weird twist in the story, um, which I reference in the book was within about a month or maybe a little less of Ben passing away, a girl that I grew up with um, in high school that I played sports with suffered a very similar injury, a car accident injury, same, you know, swelling and the same surgeries and long-term, you know, coma and all this stuff. And, and some of us girls that had played basketball together came together to pray for her. And I looked at my best friend, Emily, who was there too, like kind of facilitating it. And I was like, man, you got to lead this. Cause I don't know if this matters right now. I mean, yeah. I don't know why we pray for her to heal, like, because it's kind of just going to happen how it's going to happen kind of thing. And so that doubt was really the first kind of, I think, big obstacle that, that I had to face face in terms of my faith. And it's just, you know, it's just an emotion and a feeling that I wasn't used to. And, and so that's, I think, as you know, again, what grief is is sort of this torrent of feelings that you have to kind of just tackle one at a time because they can pop out of nowhere. And so that doubt was a big part of, you know, me grappling with what does it mean to be a believer and to suffer? What does it mean to, to trust God and surrender to him you yeah. know those things are kind of things you have to hold in two separate hands and 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 so in addition to just heartbreak and sadness and like disbelief and and confusion you know it wasn't some catastrophic injury and it didn't seem to me like it should have escalated to yeah you know a fatal point but it did and so sort of part of sort of dealing with that, that doubt and confusion and distrust, to be honest, um, of God came from surrendering. And the thing that I talk a lot about in the book is, is trading understanding for trust. And that is way harder (laughs) to do than it sounds (laughs) a cute little sentence pulled out of a book. But that was a lot of my fight that first year, because we think inherently as logical beings, like, if we get a why, you know, if, if we get an explanation, if we can understand that that will ease the doubt or anger or heartbreak or, or sorrow or whatever. And, and I just don't think that's the case. Like, I think at at some point we have to surrender and 
and lay those things down and say, I'd rather trust you, even though I don't get it. And that's the battle. Yeah. Somebody gave us that perspective from Job that I wasn't, you know, we, we didn't know what happened to Mitch. We still don't know what happened to Mitch. Did somebody kill him? Did he kill himself? We don't, we don't know. And a pastor said, you know, Job asked why, and God never told him why God just said, who like, like you need me, you need um, my bigness, my my, my omnipotence, my presence, my love, you need me. You don't need to know why. And that's hard to swallow, right? But how do you progress through that? Like what what kinds of things did you do? I noticed in your book, you you tell some stories about doing a lot. There's a lot of action. Like you, you go to Ben's office and clean out his stuff. You go hunting yeah. to recreate some of the things. Like you're, you, you're a doer. And I think, did, did you find that sort of Tony Robbins thing to be true? Like, like um, if you want to feel better, do better, like start doing stuff? Um. I mean, I, I really did. I'm, I'm glad that you point that out from the book. That was, that was something that was really important to me was yeah. to not only, you know, let people into the emotional and, and mental and spiritual struggles um, that I went through, but also not leave them empty handed. Because for me, as you said, I am, I am a doer. I am an action oriented person. And, and for whatever reason, I really am, am, created by God to embrace sort of the do before the be. And there's pros and cons to that all over the place. But the <laughs> pros are, you know, sometimes when you choose and you are able to, to take an action, you know, your feelings eventually follow in some way, yeah. or at least that was true for me. So when I was able to figure out one of the first stories in the book that, um, kind of indicated doing in that way that honestly I I thought was kind of silly. I was going to cut it out. I was like, no one's going to care about this. And it's one of the, one of the stories that I get the most feedback on was about um, my friend, Emily, who came over around Halloween, which at that point was probably like five, six weeks after Ben had passed and, and just in the throes of not wanting to do anything. I mean, in the throes of real, you know, depression and just saying, hey, can we go get some pumpkins and stuff for, yeah. your, for your porch? And I was like, I, like, it was the last thing I wanted to do. Like, it's still hot here in October. They're heavy. Like, I'm not, a, I have no green thumb. I'm like, these things are just going <laughs> to rot. And then I'm going to have to throw them out along with all these stupid flowers people have sent me that I can't keep alive. Just had like a very resistant, negative posture toward that idea. But I love her and I knew she was trying to love me. And so I went reluctantly and there was some point through that process. I'm talking like, this is not profound. Like I'm at the little elementary school down the street, lugging these things in like kids wagons. And I start arranging them on my porch. And I find myself saying, actually, this would go a lot better here. Or like this little blue one kind of compliments this best. And there was some point where it was like I was temporarily plucked out of this grief and put into this space where I felt creative or alive or in retrospect, just kind of like able to control one tiny thing that kind of gave me relief. And so yeah. for me, that very insignificant experience became a significant reminder. Like you you can't unfortunately control a lot of what you're going through right now, but you can control once a day to choose one thing or one person or one action that can be minuscule, you know, that can bring a little bit of life or a little bit of energy or a little bit of 
hope or just a little smile, something, you know, and it has to start really small, but, but it sort of taught me that lesson straight out of the gate. Like the, the only thing you have control over is to choose one thing a day that will release something or, or pour in a little joy or pour in, you know, anything besides, you know, this doubt and this grief and this heartbreak. So there are a lot of examples through the book. That's a silly one. But I think that, that the, one of the few things we have agency in, especially in grief, you know, are little tiny moments of, of lightness, you know, joy is a big word for the beginning, but, but eventually you, you can get to those moments of joy. Yeah. One of the things I think that you, you really beautifully addressed is this idea. And we came to it with becoming bereaved parents, which is a label that nobody wants to have. You, you came to understand that you were a widow, but like, like Mm. you had this identity that you weren't looking for, didn't want, hadn't identified yourself as, and and people started referring to you as as widow, like unpack that when when people's roles in their lives change a whole lot, it can be a kind of its own sort of grief when you come to that, to see that or feel it for the first time. Oh, it for sure is. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole, I think chapter kind of dedicated to identity and when people, they don't really ask what's your favorite chapter in this sort of book, but like what, what chapter means the most to you? It's, it's often that one, because I think a lot of what we don't expect, right. With a loss, um, a death is that there's huge parts of us that we feel like we lose with it. And that that's, that's not a small secondary grief. Like that's a big thing to deal with. And, and for me, I think, you know, with us being so young, it felt, it felt even more crippling because it it was the truth of it was like this, these 11 months may have been it, right. This may, this may have been my only time as a wife or it, it may have eliminated my chance to be a mom. And like all these things that, that you're inundated with when your future looks like question marks kind of thing. And so, so a big part of what I went through was not only grieving those sort of roles that I had lost because I'd lost my, my marriage. Um, but as you said, grieving this new one that I didn't want to be yeah. honest, I still, I still hate the word widow. And I, I think it's, I did it before, but I think now just because it's, it's so incredibly unwanted and it felt very permanent to yeah. me. And I mean, in all reality, it is permanent. I will always be widowed. I mean, I will always have been widowed and, and be Ben's widow. And, and it just felt like in those early days, it felt like the first and last thing people would always say about me, you know, like it felt like my one capitalized identifier. It felt like everything, you know, and so learning to accept that, you know, was a very long process. And I think what finally led me to, I guess, really accept that term is just to see, is to see the purpose that God finally wove into that for me. Um, That even though it is in a way permanent, it it never is going to be like the title of my life story, right? right? It really is going to be a chapter. And I, I hope to God it's the worst chapter. I can't imagine. I, I hope there isn't a worse chapter. And that's, and I still grieve that, that it had to be a chapter, you yeah. know, but, but there's so much of it now that, that I have 
been able to see good in, I guess, just in relationships with others, in community with others, um, in helping others through that same tragedy and that same title, um, that I've seen him redeem it. I still don't yeah. want it, <laughs> but I've seen him redeem it. Um, and just on sort of to, to tag on to that, it, it also just reset my kind of understanding of our identities in general. And, and this was a big thing for me in that chapter in the book was that I had never, I had never really let my identity be the true foundation. Like that's a phrase we hear a lot. Everybody knows like what that means. You know, if you're a believer, your, your identity is secured in Christ. Like you are a son or daughter of God and, and co-heirs with Christ and all these things that scripture assures us that we are. But until I think you go through something that really strips away the other titles that have given you so much value and so much joy, those are good things. But if they become, you know, the title of your whole life story in your mind, then you're just, you're living on very unstable ground. And so when all of that fell away, it, I'm grateful to now, today, even when I have found these amazing new identifiers and titles and roles in my life, you know, praise God, I, I now know that I have to keep them secondary to who God says yeah. I am because everything is, is temporary besides man, the God of the universe chose you and died for you and, and calls you his. And that's the only thing that, that really lasts and everything else is a bonus. That's, that's how I feel now, Lee. Like I've told people, it's like everything else is such an awesome bonus, yeah. but it doesn't define who I am. Well, I think the emotional turning point for me in the book and your story is in your counselor's office and you, she's got the word acceptance like written on the board right and, and you're not ready and then god gives you this vision and, and these words like was it um heads up hands off is that what it was like yeah, talk about yeah. that for me that was so it was like i was on the treadmill i was running it was like yeah like heads up hands <laughs> off maddie you yeah. got it like tell us about that because i think that lands the plane like like when we go through these massive things and and god finally gives us a vision and he's like this is what i need from you and i'm going to get you through this and just tell us about that for a minute yeah um it it was like a mic drop moment for sure i don't think yeah. i knew exactly what you know, he was asking of me in that moment, but I remember feeling like almost a physical exhale and like physical removal of weight. Um, just from that message of let go, like the hands off was let go of trying to understand, let go of trying to control the way that you're going to grieve. Like you, you, can't you know the more that you try to do it well or try to do it in your own strength well really the the more this is going to be a dumpster fire you know he's like you need to let go of it you need to surrender was was the big word i think of my journey through those whole first few years and and the physical action and image you know of putting your hands up of raising the white flag whatever was a reminder that I had to visualize when I felt myself white knuckling something. Um, and, and that this was the only way you're going to be free to move forward. And yeah. the only way that you're going to be free to let me 
heal you in a way that will really last. Not you heal yourself by escaping or numbing or staying too busy or whatever, but you have to daily come to me in prayer and say, God, this is the stuff that I'm scared of. This is the stuff that I'm really afraid of. This is the stuff that I'm trying to figure out and manage on my own. And I hand it to you because I, I yeah. trust you. And that's a very difficult thing to do. It, it is a true act of, of worship, honestly, when you're that, when you're in that much pain and a true act of obedience. And, and he's just saying like, I, I'm doing this to set you free, let go. And so for me, that started sort of being the, the, the beginning of the day mantra was like, what do I need to surrender? And, and I really would have to physically picture it because kind of like we talked about before, like if actions precede feelings, like I didn't feel excited to lay these things down, but I had to, to write them, I would write them down on a paper and then speak them out loud. And that was my way of, of taking my hands off. And then the reason you don't feel what helps you not feel out of control when you do that, right? If you take your hands yep. off the steering wheel, you're for all intents and purposes, pretty out of control. But if you take, if you take your hands off, then you have to look to the person who can steer. Right. Yep. And, and that was his message to me was like, you're hurting yourself more when you're trying to do this your way than if you let go and stop fixating on everything that is a question mark, that is scary, that is very reasonable for you to be worried about and want to understand. And you fix your eyes on me. And it's just, it sounds so churchy and simple and it's, it's not simple. It's hard to do, but to me, it's just like, I've told people before, it's like, we live in a world that's filtered, right? We're very, we're very familiar with the idea of filters. And when you put on a filter, it doesn't change what's in the picture, but it changes how you see what's in the picture. And when you really keep your head up on the Lord, on his word, on his promises, on the small ways he's been faithful to you in your past that can remind you that he's going to be faithful again, then the filter changes. Like the filter becomes hopeful and not fearful. Yeah. You know, and the and the filter becomes okay. You're strong, even though I'm a disaster, and and it doesn't change your situation, and it doesn't change the picture, but it it really does, or it did for me, give me a perspective that allowed me to more hopefully go through, you know, twenty four hour blocks at a time, and and yeah. that's that's what that meant to me, and it I really mean twenty four hour blocks at a time. That's about all you can handle or all That's I can right. handle. And and he's faithful in those blocks. You know, my mercies are new every morning. Like yep. I take that literally because <laughs> that's literally what he did for me. So. That's beautiful. I, I love it. It doesn't read like somebody's first book. I mean, you really have, have given us a gift and anybody who's listening, who's grieving or hurting, or you know somebody or love somebody who's been through something really hard. Maddie's book is an incredible resource and it's, it's one of the better Maybe maybe the best uh, grief resource that I can think of. It's really powerful and did a lovely job. Honored your husband, honored the Lord, and I, I'm so grateful that you shared it. I got maybe three minutes left, and I'm so much more of your story that I want to ask you about. Sorry, but, I get excited and long winded. It's, it's awesome. We got a late start because we had internet gremlins today, so we missed about 15 minutes of our time. But listen, one thing is. Your book ends with you finding your way back, landing on your feet. Your faith holds you up. I'm like, but I'm not running the end of the story, but but you you land strongly. But that's not where your story ends. So, in, in a quick 
minute here. Tell us the rest of your story and what God's done in your life since the book. Yeah. So the book came out about a little over three years ago. And um, since then have met um, this amazing man through mutual friends here and um, remarried uh, May of last year. And we are actually expecting a baby in June. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It feels wild. I said, before we started recording, it's like, sometimes I look at, at this crazy redemption story, which is all it feels like redemption after redemption. Yeah. Um, and feel like I've almost been a witness to it. Like it, it, it is a testament to the creative God that we have. Like he doesn't do the same thing twice. He really, he makes all things new. He creates from dust. Like it just, it's been amazing to witness and, and to go back to kind of my, you know, podcast of joy. It's like when you, as you know, when you go through the worst sorrow, it's like your well for joy is so much deeper. So even to just go through a, a wedding itself, the second time, man, like, your capacity and attention to joy is so much greater. And that's, that's one of the treasures, you know, of, of enduring all this is all your emotions, you know, all your emotional muscles strengthen together. So it's, it's been an incredible few years and, and I'm just so grateful to be able to share both parts of, of that story. Um, just congratulations. And it's so wonderful to see how your faithfulness has been met and even exceeded by God's faithfulness to you. And, and, uh, it's an honor. It's a, it's a real privilege to be your friend and, and to have a chance to share your story with the listeners out there. Listen, somebody that's listening to this, Maddie is, is in the early days of this thing that's happened. Somebody just got the news the diagnosis just came back. You, you know, they're in that moment. What do you say to them? Like, like what, what do you do right now when the when the wound is fresh? What do you have to say? I would say, like I mentioned before, I always say just just look at twenty four hours. You know, look at twenty four hours. Like you can survive this day, and you can make one single choice, minute choice, to bring a tiny bit of joy or hope or lightness or a smile or a laugh into this day, and. And I think when, when we take that approach, you know, for me, it became, it became less overwhelming because I knew I could do 24 hours, you know, six to eight of which I was sleeping. Um, And then, and then the, the other thing is just like, do not do this alone. Do not think that it is valiant or noble to try to carry all this on your own shoulders. Jesus tells us not to do that. I think I can speak for you, Lee. We're telling you not to do that. You are not a burden to the people who love you. If That's the roles right. were reversed, you would long to help to carry a little bit of the weight. Like you're allowing them to love you when you let them help you, whatever That's that right. looks like. Yeah. That's right. Beautiful. My friend, thank you so much. We're going to, we're going to encourage a lot of people around the world with your words and with your book and just appreciate it. God bless you and your family and and the new baby. Thank you. Thank you, Lee, so much. Same to you. We'll have to, Get round two for both podcasts. We need to. We got more to tell, I think. So God bless you, Maddie. Thank you so much. You too. What a great conversation. I'm so inspired by Maddie's faith and her story. She's brilliant. And her podcast, by the way, is incredibly encouraging. I put links in the show notes to her podcast, including the episode that I was on. We had a great talk about neuroscience and faith and doubt and hope and, and all of that. And we just had a great time. Maddie is 
one of my favorite people in the grief and hope and faith space. Her book, Lemons on Friday, will encourage you, if you've been through something hard, trauma or tragedy, some kind of massive thing, Maddie's story will encourage you. And I love the way that God put her back together and and redeemed her faith and and landed her solidly on her faith and on her feet so that she knows what she needs when life gets hard. And then he brought love back into her life. And then he made her ready to be a mother and a wife. And and I love how he, he built and recovered and operated on her before he finished her story. And it's just so inspiring. And we look forward to talking to Maddie again on the podcast in the future. She has a lot more to say. Um, We had some sort of internet demon that cost us about 15 minutes. And I had to go on Susie Larson's show live uh, right at the end of our talk there. So we kind of had to wrap it up. So we'll definitely have Maddie back on the show. Listen, if you're hurting, if you need help or hope, or you know somebody who does, Maddie's podcast, Enjoy Life, is great resource for you. And her book, Lemons on Friday, I can't recommend it highly enough. One of my favorite books ever in the grief space. And she will give you some hope and some help to find your feet and your faith again. Maddie Jackson, what a great talk. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was helpful for you. Remember, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. But Maddie's story reminds us that we can always start today. Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Hope is the First Dose. It's a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things. It's available everywhere books are sold, and I narrated the audiobooks. Hey, the theme music for the show is Get Up by my friend Tommy Walker, available for free at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. They are supplying worship resources for worshipers all over the world to worship the Most High God. And if you're interested in learning Learning more, check out TommyWalkerMinistries.org. If you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, and go to my website and sign up for the newsletter, Self Brain Surgery, every Sunday since 2014, helping people in all 50 states and 60 plus countries around the world. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'll talk to you soon. Remember, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today.